As we go to the uh, Lord in prayer tonight and get into uh, the book of Revelation, we'll be in Revelation 15 and 16. I'd like to pray for all of our students that are headed back to school. So we got all the kids headed into the school year. All the teachers are back uh, to work that God would, would have his hand on our schools and the students and teachers and administrators. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you in prayer. And Lord, we do want to lift up uh, all of the youth of our city and the youth of our church. And God, we pray that your hand would really be on this school year. Lord, your hand of protection, your hand of blessing. We pray for all of the teachers as they prepare for the school year, that you would be stirring them and speaking uh, to them, especially, uh, Lord, the, the Christian teachers in the schools, Lord, that you would give them your protection and fresh uh, vision. Um, Lord, and so we just give over this this year to you and ask that you would bless it and you would work through it. And as we look in the book of Revelation tonight of, of your wrath, of your just judgment, Lord, we pray that uh, we would be encouraged that you, Jesus, are coming, that you're going to have the last word, that you're going to set things right. Pray you give me grace and strength in communicating your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation 15 and 16. Revelation 15 and 16 this evening. The world is full of atheists and skeptics. Here's a, a couple of quotes to keep in mind. The worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. Charles Schultz, uh, the author of the comics, uh, Peanuts comic strips, is not too worried about the end of the world. He says, don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. So isn't that a lot of times people's attitude towards uh, God, towards his judgment? I think if you are going to talk to a Christ-rejecting world about the world coming to an end, Jesus having the last word, uh, the wrath of God being poured out upon humanity, it would seem more like a joke than a reality, wouldn't it? And even for us as Bible-believing Christians, when we think of God's judgment, Jesus returning, Jesus having the last word and making everything right, it can seem like a distant fairy tale, can it? When Jesus said that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that no one is getting away with anything and everyone is going to have to stand before God and answer uh, to the Lord, because we haven't experienced that yet, because we still see it through the eyes of faith, it can seem very far away. And as we go through these two chapters tonight, be reminded that God's word stands, that Jesus is coming, and he's coming as the conquering king, and he's going to bring all things into account. So begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So a sign in heaven is to get everyone's attention. Specifically, what are the seven, or what are the sign that is listed here is the seven angels who have the seven bowls of God's judgment. And these seven bowls of God's judgment is God's wrath. It's the completion of God's wrath. It's the completion of this tribulation period. And as I look at the scriptures, I see Jesus taking the wrath of God for us. So personally, I believe the church is going to be raptured prior to this. And there's a lot of differing views, views on that. 
But whatever your view is on the rapture, it's clear in, in this section of scripture that God is pouring out his wrath. He's pouring out his judgment. He's setting everything right in these seven bowls that are being poured out from the seven angels. It's a marvelous sign that's getting everyone's attention. In verse two, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. So that's quite the visual picture where you have a sea of glass and in it is mingled with with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. This is believers during the tribulation period that have gotten saved, that have been faithful to the Lord, that have overcome Satan, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. They have victory, and now they're standing in a place of peace in God's presence upon the sea of glass, having the harps of God and their expression worship to God. Sometimes in the midst of reading Revelation or even our own experience, we can think that the enemy has the victory. And nothing can be further from the truth. God is the one who has the victory. And those that refuse to follow Satan, refuse the mark of the beast, notice here they have victory over the beast. They have victory over his image. They have victory over his mark and over his name. And they're in that heavenly reality. Verse three, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, the Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifest. Have you noticed in the book of Revelation how much singing there is to God? It may be one of the books that's filled with the most exhortations and examples to worship apart from the Psalms. But it's also a very clear revelation of who God is. A lot of times I find that my understanding of God, my revelation of the Lord, and worship go hand in hand. And here, this group that's overcome the enemy, overcome the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, they're singing to the Lord. They're celebrating the victory that God has has brought. Sometimes in our lives we feel like singing, don't we? But many times in our lives, we don't. And that's why the scripture tells us the sacrifice of praise, where we choose to to sing to the Lord regardless of how we're feeling because we know that God is good. A lot of times when we command our emotions in a biblical direction, then they come in line. You know, how many times have you began to worship the Lord when you don't feel like it and you get into it and you're like, yeah, he hasn't given me a spirit of fear. And here I am living in fear, and and the truth of this song is real. I I am the the child of God. So encourage you to continue to sing to the Lord here at church, but also throughout your days when you're doing the laundry, driving down the road, as the Spirit moves you, and as you choose to worship the Lord. What is the song of Moses? This refers to Exodus chapter 15. When the children of Israel had come through the Red Sea, they sang to the Lord of God's deliverance. And so they're focusing on the deliverance of God as they sing to the Lord. We find Moses having this title that is the servant of God. There's very few in scripture that are called the servant of God. We see it, David and Joshua, briefly, but primarily it's given to Moses. Moses was often referred to 
as a servant of God. And here in Revelation, again, we're reminded that he's the servant of God. God doesn't waste words. Every word's important. And what a wonderful compliment that's given to Moses to serve the Lord, to choose to to serve God. So Moses, the servant of God, they're singing the song of Moses, but they're also singing the song of the Lamb because victory comes through Jesus. Deliverance comes through his sacrifice. Throughout this book also, we see the beautiful combination of the lion and the lamb. Jesus being the lamb and Jesus being the lion. And, And what's being sung is great and marvelous are your works. God, your works are marvelous. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. And then who shall not fear you? All should be in that place of, of fearing you because you're holy. All the nations come and worship before you. Your judgments have become manifest. This group has been through quite a trial in overcoming Satan, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. Because of that, they have a tremendous song of deliverance. If we persevere, if we continue to see it on the other side, a lot of times the trial will produce the song. The trial will allow us to see the deliverance of God and we'll be able to sing that song of deliverance that he has worked in our lives. In verse five, after these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. It's a lot of T's. It's a pastor's dream right there. That could be a whole message the beautiful T's, the temple, the tabernacle, and the testimony. Can I get a witness? And heaven was opened. When the tabernacle was built, we're told that there was very specific instructions of the size of the tabernacle, the, the exact detail of the tabernacle, because the earthly tabernacle was a model of the heavenly reality. So when we get to heaven, there's going to be a, a tabernacle around the, the throne room of God. And that tabernacle has the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, and the testimony of God is there. And from there, heaven was opened. So from the very presence of God, from the very throne room of God, from the Holy of Holies, comes this message in verse 6. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. So each of the angels has a plague, has a bowl of God's judgment, And they're clothed in pure, bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Both of these articles speak of the purity of the angels, that that they're coming with God's pure judgment. They, They have pure, bright linen, and also they're girded with golden bands that speak of the purity. In verse seven, then one of the four living creatures, we've seen them throughout Revelation, gave to the seven angels seven golden uh, bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Throughout scripture, the number seven speaks of completion. We read at the beginning of chapter 15 that this was the completion of the, the wrath of God. So seven plagues, seven bowls, God's complete wrath. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This judgment that God gives, it represents his holiness. It represents his his goodness. The glory of God is found in the midst of of God's uh, judgment. When we come to understand God's goodness, if he wasn't a just judge, it would be hard for us to ascribe to the Lord that he's good. A good God, a holy God, has to judge sin and bring sin into accountability. 
when we receive forgiveness, it's not God being unjust. It's not God saying, well, boys will be boys and girls will be girls and I, I, I kind of feel bad for them over there and they didn't go to get a good night's sleep, so I'll go ahead and excuse their sin this time. God in his justice poured out his wrath upon his son. Jesus took the punishment for our sins so that we could experience the forgiveness of God. We could experience the, the grace of God. And so we see a, a group of people, a society that has their heart hardened against God, doesn't want anything to do with God, and experiences the wrath of God and, and the judgment of God. Maybe at some point in your life, you've experienced a lack of righteous justice. You know, someone has, has wronged you, and the right thing would be for there to be appropriate consequences that would, would take place. And we know justice is an aspect of goodness and an aspect of, of God's holiness, but it's lacking this side of heaven, isn't it? A lot of times in humanity and society, we don't see God's righteous judgment displayed. And, and there's this crying out and this longing for there to be true justice to take place. We'll realize that that's going to happen in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if even if someone has already passed away, we'll find in a few more weeks in the book of Revelation, they're going to have to stand before God. They're going to have to give an, an account before God. They're not going to get away with the injustice that they, they've done. And so when Jesus says, vengeance is mine, it, it truly does belong, belong to the Lord. And so I think it is good for societies and cultures to long for justice because it brings healthy harmony inside of our cultures and, and communities. And part of us being salt and light is to long to see for justice uh, to take place, but also understanding that Jesus is the one that's going to bring the ultimate justice. So knowing that Jesus is going to bring the ultimate justice doesn't cause us to check out from justice. Does that make sense? So, so we're, that that's, should be part of our heart as believers, but ultimately our anchor is in the justice of God that he's going to bring. Chapter 16. It's been a while since we've done two chapters in one night. It's because chapter 15 was so short, right? Can I get a witness? Woo! Verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. The voice of the Father speaking to the angels, and it's a loud voice. It's a it's a voice of confidence. It's a voice of certainty. There's no doubt here. There's no wondering if this is the right judgment. It's time. Go and pour out the bowls of wrath on the earth. I think God uses this picture of bowls for a purpose because it has the idea of a judgment is now full. If you think of a bowl filling, it eventually is going to get full to the point where now it needs to be, to be poured out and God's judgment is ready to be poured out. In verse 2, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. So this is the first of seven bowl judgments, seven plagues. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So only those that had the mark of the beast. They experienced this, this foul and loathsome sore. The, the word loathsome is to be able to cause nauseousness highly offensive, uh, repulsive. So it just downright stinks. It, it, it's foul and it hurts and it comes upon uh, these men that have been marked by their allegiance to 
the Antichrist. When you receive the mark, when people receive the mark of the Antichrist, it was so convenient. Because without it, you can't do any business. You can't buy or, or, or sell. And Satan's always going to come to us and say, this is the moment of pleasure. Go ahead and choose compromise because it's going to be easier for you. It's going to be convenient for you. Don't, don't wait for God's best. Don't strive for, for, for holiness. Don't serve the one true uh, living God. And though it was convenient at the moment to receive the mark of the beast, then, then the consequence here is severe, where they have these sores that are upon them. Verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. So the, the second angel has the second bowl judgment, and the water becomes blood. And as the water's blood, then every little living creature in the sea, sea dies. That's pretty intense. I mean, you think about all the creatures in the sea, and, and now they're, they're dead. Now, I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek or make too many enemies uh, tonight, but we sure seem to have a passion to worship creation over the Creator, don't we? And as God's children... We do appreciate creation. It's not our desire to go out and destroy creation. We want to be a good steward of creation. But we never want to elevate creation over God. How many people today in culture and society would care more about the animals in the sea than they would about a relationship with Jesus Christ? They're more concerned with, with saving the animal kingdom than they are of serving the, the king of kings. So biblically, scripturally, we know where this is going to end. It's going to end with all the sea creatures passing away. The earth has a lifespan. The scripture talks about the earth passing away. Peter writes that the world's going to burn up with, with fervent heat. This is not going to be permanent. But what is permanent is a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. So this helps keep things in perspective. From God's perspective, it's humanity that's made in his image. So we, we can't get that mixed up. We've got to make sure we worship God first and foremost, that we put humanity above the animal kingdom. How many people would, would be more concerned with, with a pet than with a human being? Now, don't get me wrong. I shared this weekend about us putting our dog to sleep. You know, I loved my dog. I'm sad about my dog, my dog passing away. But my children mean more to me than my dog, right? And, and we don't want to get that, that mixed up. And we don't want to lose sight of that. And so God, I think, here is getting everyone's attention. You know, the first bowl judgment, they chose to, to mark their skin in allegiance to, to Satan, to the, to the Antichrist. And so God says, here's some loathsome swords that are, are upon your skin. At, at this time, when God's wrath is being poured out, the world is all into creation. They're worshiping creation. They're trying to save uh, a creation, Always bad news when you got to try to save what you worship. But, and so God goes, boom, in one bull judgment, then all the, the sea creatures uh, pass away. In verse 4, then a third angel poured out his bull on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now you're having a difficult time getting any, any drinking water. This as well is, is very dramatic. It gets, it gets everybody's attention. You can't miss this. In verse 5, and I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, the one who was, 
the one who is to be because you have judged these things. As the judgment is being poured out, the angel is saying, God, you're just. You're right in doing this. And your character is consistent. You've been in the past, you're, you're current, the one who is, the one who was, and then the one who will continue to be in the future. And those that are surrounding the throne room of God at this time are saying, Lord, this is right. This is the right time. You're pouring out your just judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. In verse 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. So here's this justice aspect. Is they went around killing those that proclaimed the, the name of God and the word of God, the, the prophets, those that spoke the, the word of God. They shed their blood. They shed their, the blood of saints, those that are committed to Christ. And so now God is giving them uh, blood uh, to drink. In a lot of ways, sometimes when we see martyrs inside of the church, those that have given their life uh, for Christ, we go, is there going to be justice? Yes, there's going to be justice. God is going to hold them accountable for this. Continuing in verse 6, for it is their just due. This is God's justice. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So another voice testifying to the righteousness of God, the God Almighty who is true and righteous in the judgments that, that he brings. So this third judgment is the fresh water becomes blood. The fourth judgment in verse 8, then the fourth angel poured out his wrath on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And sometimes as you're reading this, it seems like a Marvel movie, doesn't it? Right? So here comes this angel, and God gives him the power to be able to just, just scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues and didn't repent and give him glory. You would think maybe the opposite response would be from God's judgment, right? So they know that this judgment is coming from the Lord. Not too many atheists at this time. They understand this is God's wrath, that it's not just the angel, that the angel is the instrument of God's judgment, and they just blaspheme God. It's, it's how hard their, their hearts are towards the Lord. They blaspheme his name, which is his character and his nature. Curse God, not want anything to do with God. Not humbling themselves before God, asking for God's grace and asking for a God's mercy. So this then provokes an interesting question, is what would cause our hearts to turn towards repentance in Christ? Sometimes people say, well, you know, if God would do something severe in my life, I would believe in him. Uh, you know, if, even if God would, you know, fry me with his judgment, at least I would know that he's real. I don't know. W would that be the case or would it be a similar response to, to this? Because God has pursued us with his kindness, hasn't he? With his son. And if we can't receive the testimony of Jesus Christ that God would willingly send his son, that Jesus would willingly go to the cross. If you hear the gospel, which is this, that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for your sins and rise again, and the kindness and love of God doesn't stir you to repentance, then the judgment of God probably won't either. It'll probably be in that place of that hard-heartedness uh, towards the Lord. 
Today's the day of salvation. Tonight's the night of salvation. To, to turn from sin, to turn to the Lord, and to trust him for salvation. In verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and, on his, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of their pain. So the, so the fifth bowl is darkness and pain, and it's directed at the throne of the Antichrist and his kingdom. This is going to affect him directly and those that rule with the, the Antichrist. And it becomes dark. It, it's filled with, with darkness. And with this darkness, that there's great pain. And, and this pain causes their, their tongues to gnarl in the pain. And they're gnarling in, in that pain. And the reason why God does this, God does this for a reason. They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they didn't repent of their deeds. So God, in giving this judgment, is still giving opportunity for repentance. And yet they didn't take the opportunity of repentance. They continued in that hard-heartedness before the Lord. In verse 12, we get to the, the sixth bull judgment. Then the sixth angel poured out his bull on the great river Euphrates. And the water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the, the, the false prophet. The dragon, as we know from our studies, has been Satan. The beast is the Antichrist and then the, the false prophet. So these three f- frogs come out of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of of God Almighty. So as God's judgment comes to an end, as the nations of the world come together in a giant battle, in a battle of of Armageddon. And this battle, it it takes place in in the valley of Megiddo and also the valley of the great river Euphrates, the great River Euphrates is, is dried up. In verse 15, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and see, and see his shame. And they gathered together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon literally means valley of Megiddo or hill of Megiddo. And the scripture prophesies this taking place in Daniel 11, verses 40 through 45. Those that look at the river Euphrates, if it was dried up, say that it's 1,730 miles long, beginning from Turkey, flowing down to Kuwait. So that's quite a distance. And the nations of the world being gathered in Euphrates, leading into the Armageddon Valley. Jesus encourages us here to, to be watchful. And he says to those believing saints during this time to watch and to keep their their purity, to keep their garments of salvation, to not walk naked. We're taught to be watching and waiting for the rapture of the church. And here, those living during the time of the tribulation, they're to be watching and waiting because Christ is coming as a thief. He's coming, he's coming quickly. Many won't anticipate the, the coming of Uh, Jesus Christ. This Armageddon, the hill or city of uh, Megiddo, we see that this is the place where the Egyptians fought the Canaanites in the valley of Megiddo. 
1918, Megiddo was the place where the Allied forces fought against the Ottoman Empire. So there's been a lot of battles in not too distant past that have took place here, but also in the Old Testament. Barak over the uh, Canaanites, we, we see taking place in this same valley. Gideon over the Midianites took place as well here. The deaths of Saul and Josiah took place in the valley of Megiddo. Every once in a while, about every three years, Lord willing, we try to go to Israel as a church, and Lord willing, we're going in February of 2019, but it's sobering to look out over this valley. There's the ancient city of Megiddo and the ruins, and you sit up on the city, and it's just this huge valley that extends past where the eye can see, and what's being prophesied here in the sixth bull judgment is God bringing together the nations of the world ultimately to experience God's judgment, leading up to this great uh, final war, the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 17, the seventh bull judgment. Then the seventh angel poured out his bull into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Now, does that phrase at all stand out to you as you study the scriptures? It, It is done. When Jesus died upon the cross, he said, it is finished. As he was crucified upon the cross, there was seven sayings. There were seven things that he said uh, upon the cross. There's seven bull judgments. Jesus took the wrath of the Father. And when the wrath of the Father was complete, he said, it is finished. It's done. I've paid the price in full. And now here at the end of God's word, when we're looking at the wrath of God, and the wrath of God's been poured out upon humanity. The battle of Armageddon takes place. Uh, from the throne, it's declared, it is done. So the message for us is what hill are you going to identify with? Are you going to identify with the valley of Megiddo, this rebellion against God, this hard-heartedness towards God? Or are you going to come to the cross, to Calvary? Which, which hill are we going to live on? Are we going to rest in the finished work of Christ? Or are we going to try to stand before God on our own merits and then experience the just just judgment of God? So thankfully, Jesus declared it's done and took the wrath of God for us. Church, I think this is an important chapter in the Bible, and you might be saying, why? Why is it important? Well, one, because God is holding wickedness accountable, but the second is it shows us the value in which Jesus died upon the cross when we think of the depth of him taking the wrath of God for us, that this is what I deserve from God, is this kind of punishment from God, but Jesus willingly took my place uh, upon the cross. It's amazing. It causes us to celebrate and appreciate what Christ has done. In verse 18, and there was a, a great noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. This is quite a statement, isn't it? This is the granddaddy of all earthquakes, and there's been a lot of earthquakes. And even when Christ died upon the cross, there, there was a great, great earthquake. And so what ends up the judgment of God, this seventh bull that's poured out is this very significant earthquake that, that takes place. Now the great city was divided into to three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So so the great city is referring to 
Jerusalem, and Jerusalem being divided into to three parts. But then we also see this reference to, to Babylon. And in Babylon, God remembers, and he gives Babylon the, the cup of the fierceness of his wrath. And Babylon pointing to the world system and ultimately the system of, of the Antichrist. In verse 20, then every island fell away and the mountains were not found and great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone was a, about the weight of a talent. We had a lot of hail this week in Colorado Springs, right? So this is gonna be even more intense. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail since the plague was exceedingly great. So throughout this chapter, we see this continual response towards God of hardening of heart, of blaspheming the Lord. You know, when we think of correction, even as God's children, how do we respond? God disciplines the children that he loves, and what's our response to the Lord? Do we go, Lord, thank you for loving me and being correction in my life? Or do we get mad at God? We tend to shake our fist at God. It really marks our, a person's character if we can receive correction, if we can re- receive instruction and have that humble heart from the Lord. It's the people that love us the most in life that bring us correction, don't they? They care about us enough to say, look, I'm gonna sh- shoot straight uh, with you. And God in his love for us as his children will correct us. But this is different. This is not God's correction upon his children. This is his wrath upon those that have rejected him. So first, is allow God's kindness to lead you to repentance. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm so glad that you're coming to study the Bible on a Wednesday night. What a cool thing. And it's really important to ask the question, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you put him in the category of fairy tale? Or do you put him in the category of God? Do you believe that he exists, that he died upon the cross, that he rose again. Are you ready to repent, to turn from sin, to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me? It's the most important decision that you make in your life. It's far more than fire insurance. It's far more than just saying, I don't want God's wrath. I don't want to go to hell. But it's realizing the goodness of God, the grace of God, and saying, I desire to be the child of God. Jesus, I'm ready for you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to take control of my life. Because you will live on one hill or the other. You're going to live on the hill of God's grace, of Calvary, where Jesus died for us, or upon the hill of God's judgment. So allow his kindness to lead you to repentance. How good is God that he's allowed you to come into a quiet sanctuary and hear the word of God, and hear that Jesus loves you, that he's been preparing you for this moment to receive Christ as as your Savior. And as we go to prayer in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity right where you're at to receive Christ, to to raise your hand, to raise your hand to the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to be uh, the child of God. And then to know that the whole world is going to be brought under God's justice. We've went through these two chapters fairly quickly, but some of you have already had this experience and some of you will have this in the future where you do not experience justice here on this earth. Some, something takes place and there's something clearly wrong that has happened and the world's system of justice falls short. And that can cause a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of, a lot of bitterness. 
And then what are you going to do in those, those moments? And that's a real test of faith. In some ways, it's a, it's a crisis of faith. I think it's right to press in and, and try to have earthly justice take place. It, it's right for the person who's done wrong. It, it's right for society. It's not always best to just say, well, I'm not going to pursue justice on this side of heaven. I think it takes strength in the Lord to say God has set up these systems and so not out of vengeance or, or out of bitterness, but out of a true sense of justice, I'm gonna speak up and I'm gonna try to see that this will be held, held accountable. If, if someone is, is hurting people and no one stands up against them, they're gonna continue to hurt more people. And so it's the right thing to do to say, I'm gonna pursue every avenue possible in, 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 in this regard. But then also to, to understand, to say, they're gonna have to answer before the Lord. I can rest knowing that I, I took this as far as is humanly possible, as far as justice will go on, on this side of heaven, and ultimately they're gonna have to answer before the Lord. Because I also know that if you do experience earthly justice and your heart is in a place of vengeance, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Justice will not be enough to satisfy vengeance. That's why in the law it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because what's my response if you take my eye? I want both of yours, right? That's the human fleshly response. It's not, it's not a response of justice. It's a response of, of vengeance. You know, if you knock out my tooth, then I want all of your teeth, right? And that's why God laid out in his law. That's the, not the way his, his justice works. And so if we don't turn it over to the Lord to realize that people are ultimately accountable to God, our hearts will never be free. Our, our hearts will never be, be satisfied. So as we navigate this, this is hard, isn't it? As we navigate this, this is difficult. One, one part of us says, well, I'm not going to do anything. I, I'm going to leave this in God's hands, so I'm not going to pursue any earthly justice. And I suggest to you this evening that that doesn't do anybody any good. That doesn't glorify the Lord. That doesn't help the person who has committed, committed the crime, and that God's heart of justice would, would cause us to stand up in a righteous way and say, for the benefit of this person, for the benefit of my family, for the benefit of those who might be hurt by this individual in the future, I'm going to go ahead and stand up. And I, I commend you for that, because that takes a lot of courage to, to be able to do that. And so the right response isn't just to say, well, I, I won't do anything, but then also the right response is not to say, well, I'm going to be vengeful. And I, I'm looking for revenge in this because then our hearts will never be satisfied. And to truly, in both cases, to then say, okay, Lord, this, this is in your hands. Lord, the, these are uh, accountable to you and they're going to right the wrongs. You're going to right the wrongs. And in the big scheme of God's economy, no one's going to get away with anything. And if you think about those individuals that have maybe harmed you and hurt you and, and those things, God is going to hold them accountable. There's going to be one or two places for that to be rectified. And one is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And if they come to that place of trusting Christ for, for salvation, and if it's not the, the case, and they're standing before the Lord, then they're going to experience the just judgment of, of God. And church, you can step back 
and look at the world, look at society, look at our own community, and we're heading towards God's judgment. The world is ripening itself towards God's judgment. And as we get closer and closer to, to the end, that's the reality. And in the midst of that, God's wanting to bring people to himself. The, the contrast of light and darkness comes more and more. So with all of that said, you know, first, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to not respond to me, to, but respond to Christ, to, to lift your hand. I'll lead you in a prayer of you committing yourself to Christ and believing in Christ. And then also, I'd love to pray with you if you're right in the middle of some situation where you're having to pursue earthly justice without going too far for vengeance and trusting the, the just judge. And so let's pray together. Jesus, I confess to you that sometimes as I, I read these things, because they're yet future, it's easy for them to not seem real. And we want to pause and know that your word is true. We believe that your word is true. And Jesus, you are going to send these seven angels with the, the seven bull judgments. And we know that it's your kindness that leads to repentance. And God, you know hearts. You know the hearts of those that haven't yet received you. And if tonight is the night where they want to cry out to you for grace and mercy and forgiveness and to trust you for salvation, God, would you be so kind to, to speak to them? As we've gone through this message, if God's been stirring your heart to receive Christ as your Savior, you haven't made that decision before, and you'd like to receive Christ, would you raise your hand and leave it up? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we'll just wait for a few moments if you'd like to receive Christ. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel and to focus on you being the means of salvation. And, Lord, also I'd like to pray for, for those that find themselves in a place where they've been wronged, they've been hurt, they've been taken advantage of, and, and longing and needing for there to be justice. And we know that you've set up authorities here on this earth. And, God, we pray for our own community and those that make those decisions, uh, and have been given those positions of authority and that there would be justice in our, in our community. We love our city and Lord, we know that it's, it's good for our city when, when evil is held accountable. And so Lord, would you, would you help those that need to pursue those things? And also Lord, would you help them to truly know that vengeance belongs to you? That whether their earthly justice is done or the heavenly justice will be done, and that all will stand before you, and you're going to have the last word. So would you bless this time of communion, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.